From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father John Tregilio. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. You can also text the letters EWTN to 55000 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. Hey, welcome again to Open Line Monday here on EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. Jack Williams is away today. I'm Tom Price, along with our Monday host, Father John Tregilio. How are you, Padre? Fine. How are you? Couldn't be better. How is your Lent going? How is it progressing? Oh, it's going quite well. Uh, I was in um, Rome with 23 seminarians for wow. the first week of Lent. Wow. And now we're back at the grindstone. Fantastic. Well, we've got uh, we've got some questions uh, queued up for you here, some uh, okay. emails that we've received. But first, I want to give folks uh, the uh, phone number because we are st- we're, we're live this afternoon here on this uh, second Monday of Lent. Our phone number, 833-288-EWTN. If you have a question for Father John, 833-288-3986. If you're listening outside of North America, please dial the U.S. country code and then 205-271-2985. If you would like, you can text the letters EWTN to 55000, wait for our response, and then text us your first name and your brief question. Message and data rates may apply. And, of course, you can always send us an email, like uh, some of the emails we're going to get to in a moment here. The address, openline at EWTN.com. Openline at EWTN.com. Be sure you put uh, in the subject line, either put Monday or Father John or uh, Apologetics so that we can uh, get the right questions to the right host. Here is an email that we received from Brendan, Father. Brendan says, where do bad ideas and temptations come from? Do some of them come from us? Mm, that's a very good question. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, um you know, there used to be a comedian called Flip Wilson. Yes. <laughs> remember him? I sure do. He, we had a, he had a shtick where he'd say, the devil made me do That's it. That's right. I remember it. <laughs> well, the devil is one source, but it's also the world and the flesh. So there's three traditional sources of temptation, and obviously the devil is outside of us, and his only way he can uh, influence us is through our imagination. But the world and the flesh are two other sources, and um, it can come from us in the sense that because of concupiscence, that's uh, our inclination towards evil as a consequence of original sin. Uh, it can come from us, but also we're very easily influenced by the world and obviously uh, by the flesh. Sins of the flesh are, are obviously the most uh, pernicious ones. Yeah. But then, of course, the devil. So, yeah, they can come from inside, they can come from outside, but they can never, ever coerce the free will. And so we either freely uh, cooperate with them or we can resist. And it may take a lot of strength and effort and practice. And here's where God's grace comes in uh, that helps us be more victorious. All right. Brendan, thanks for your email. Here's one from Mario. What is the role of baptism in the Catholic faith? And what are the similarities and differences between our view and a view of of the uh, Protestants? Uh, Well, um, the Protestants are across the board, depending on which denomination you, you talk to, 
obviously uh, the Lutheran and Episcopalian are more along our lines that uh, they baptize uh, infants. Uh-huh. Uh, we see baptism as one of the seven sacraments instituted by Christ to give grace. Uh, we say that's when a person is truly born again of water and the Spirit. Uh, by baptism, original sin is washed away, and sanctifying grace is poured into the soul. We become a child of God. It's the gateway to the other sacraments, and it's the means by which you and I become members of the church, and um, also we become members of that particular parish where uh, we are baptized. And it gives us that great um, advantage in the spiritual battle that will then ensue for the rest of our lives, the battle between good and evil. And like I said before, we original sin uh, is why we have a wounded nature, but uh, a wounded nature can be healed. It's not a destroyed or corrupt nature. It's wounded. And grace is that means by which God gives us the opportunity uh, to um, be healed and to do better. So baptism is absolutely uh, indispensable, and it's applicable to people, whether they're infants or full-grown adults. It is Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio here on EWTN. Our phone number, 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. We'll get to the phones in just a few moments here. Fascinating question from Gary. Can the saints hear us when we pray to them in silent prayer, or do we need to speak up? Do we need to speak out loud? Mm. <laughs> well, that, that that's a, a good question. And the saints, other than the Virgin Mary, don't have their bodies uh, yet. Uh, Mary and Jesus are the only ones who have their physical bodies uh, in heaven, uh, glorified, of course. Uh-huh. Uh, all the other saints, you know, their souls are in heaven, but their bodies are waiting for the resurrection. So they don't have a physical ear uh, to hear, but uh, we believe that it's through infused knowledge that God allows them to know uh, what we're asking for. So, yes, you can pray verbally uh, with your mouth. You can um, pray mentally, and God will allow that information to be shared with the saints. All right, very good. Reuben from Duarte, California, wants to know, why don't we call people in the Old Testament saints, like St. Jacob or St. Moses? Well, I I believe that you'll find some references uh, in some churches, particularly like in the Eastern Orthodox Church, you know, um, they'll talk about St. David, St. Abraham. It's just a custom that, that, you know, we don't, we're not saying they're not in heaven. Uh, They're just not canonized. Um, But uh, we certainly believe that all the good people who died before Christ, who were ready for heaven, but had to wait for the Redeemer uh, to save them, so people like Adam and Eve, there's a beautiful icon in the Eastern Catholic Church of Jesus on Good Friday. Uh, he's dying on the cross, and then down below the hill of Calvary, we see Jesus uh, opening up the shackles that held Adam and Eve uh, in that uh, limbo where they were. Wow. So we ca- you can call them saints, and you can certainly take their names uh, for confirmation or baptism. Okay. Uh, we just don't formally give them that. You, you won't see a, a, a church, St. Adam or St. Eve. Okay, <laughs> very good. And uh, St. Reuben, thank you very much for your call. I just I just canonized the poor man. Anyway, go. here's uh, one now from Reed. What is the difference between the Holy Spirit you receive at baptism versus the Holy Spirit you receive at confirmation? It's the same Holy Spirit, It's just that you get an increase of the Holy Spirit. You get the gifts and the fruits of the Holy Spirit at confirmation. And confirmation builds upon that which is given 
at baptism. That's why we use the word confirmation. It, it confirms what uh, was given in the beginning at, at baptism. So and they're not two different distinct entities. They're both one and the same. It's the same uh, third person of the Holy Trinity. It's just that uh, for reference sake, uh, we sort of accentuate the fact that the Holy Spirit comes to you at confirmation. But because of the Trinity, they're three persons. They're distinct but not separate. When you get one, you get all three. Turbocharged. Yes. <laughs> okay, very good. Reed, thanks for your question. Here's one from Alice. I have a special needs son. He's going to have his first communion soon, uh, first confession soon, excuse me, first confession. Now, he knows the difference between right and wrong, but he has some trouble expressing himself. How does the Catholic Church help people with special needs receive the sacraments? Well, the, the diocese usually has um, a beautiful resource for people with disabilities and whether they have Asperger's or uh -huh. um, they have um, autism or any number of, of uh, disabilities, uh, if they go through the, the, the diocese, they can help the parish, the pastor, the DRE, whoever's involved in that, so that uh, just like if somebody was deaf or unable to speak, uh, they provide some means by which the person can go to confession. So yes, there are things available. Uh, I just don't each diocese is different, but certainly sure, call sure. the diocese, and they can help you. Very good. And uh, one, as we're heading out to a break here, uh, this is from Paul. Is it a mortal sin—this is a very timely question, by the way—is mm. it a mortal sin to not observe a day of abstinence or fasting? It is if you do it deliberately, all right? If you, if you, if you forget it's, you know, human weakness, you forget it's Friday, you forget it's Lent— you forget that Ash Wednesday and Good Friday are days of abstinence and, and fasting. But when you deliberately, conscientiously say, I refuse to follow this, then it's a mortal sin. Okay. It's, the, it's the reason that you're doing it that determines that. And, uh, you know, right off the top of your head, I, you, you must hear from a lot of people that say, oh, <laughs> Father, I totally forgot it was Friday, yes. or I, I totally forgot about the fasting part. And I just, I just had a hamburger. Am yes. I in big trouble? And the answer is, you're not in no. big trouble. No. It happens to priests. I, I know really? priests who have forgotten it was uh, Friday and Lent or that, you know, they need to, to fast. It happens. I mean, it's not something you want to brag about, but <laughs> we're not perfect. There you go. And if you'd like to send us an email for a future show, the address is openline at EWTN.com. Openline at EWTN.com. And look at this, we've got two phone lines available for you right now at 833-288-EWTN for Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio on EWTN. Stay with us. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. Well, it looks like we have one line open here on Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio, and that number again, 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. We're going to get to the phones in just a moment. I want to tell you about something beautiful now available to you from EWTN's religious catalog. It is a Fontanini statue of the sleeping St. Joseph. This special statue is a replica of one belonging to our very own 
Pope Francis. Pope Francis explained that St. Joseph is one of his most beloved saints. Here's what he had to say. I have great love for St. Joseph because he is a man of silence and strength. On my table, I have an image of St. Joseph sleeping. Even when he's asleep, he is taking care of the church. Pope Francis advised people to leave a note under that image of the saint for help whenever they have a problem. The statue we're talking about here, it's beautiful. It's available from Fontanini, and it's made in Italy. It's six and a half inches long. It would fit right there on your desk or your dresser. It's available right now at EWTNRC.com. Do check it out by going to EWTNRC.com. If you type Sleeping St. Joseph in the search bar, you'll probably get it. If you're ready now, let's go to the phones at 833-288-EWTN. We begin with Charlene, a first-time caller in Tennessee, listening online, EWTN.com. Hey, Charlene, what's on your mind today? I had a question about uh, missing Mass because of COVID. I'm 76, and I was told by a priest that I was exempt because of my age, but I wanted to make sure that was correct information. Uh, yes, especially uh, because of the pandemic, anybody who's um, in, in that ri- risk area, whether it's age or you know di- diabetics, people who are, are overweight, uh, any number of things that they would consider you in that high risk area, um, you're certainly exempt uh, from the Sunday obligation. And, and even when the bishops restored the obligation after they had dispensed the whole diocese, they always wanted the people to know that if you're still at risk, you know, and you're always uh, dispensed if it's because of bad weather where you wouldn't go anywhere, all right, um, or, you know, you're sick or you have to take care of someone who's sick. Um, and I mean, you know, serious illness. It doesn't have to be yeah. danger of death, but, you know, someone's got a really, really bad, uh, you know, flu and you're taking care of them. You need to be with them, especially like a child or elderly person. So, yeah, you're, you're, you're not, you don't need to confess that, but you still may want to go to confession to receive the grace. Absolutely. Charlene, thanks for your call. Father, I was actually uh, under the weather this past Saturday, two days ago, and uh, to the point where I just I just couldn't get out of bed. And my wife said, you're staying home. It felt really weird, but I understood that that I was still okay. Yeah. Prudence is is always a good virtue. There you go. Anna in Massachusetts listening today uh, on EWTN television. What's on your mind today, Anne? Okay. I'm on the air, right? Yes, go right ahead. All right. Am I talking to Father Tregulio, was it? Yes. Yep. Yes. All right. Um, I went to, I'm 42 years old, and I was in a very bad accident, and I went to confession to do my Easter duty, whatever. And I found out that I have, I have three children. One is 18, one is 16, and one is 14. And I've, I've been married 20 years, but I didn't get married in a church. I got married on a cruise ship. I'm a Catholic. I was raised a Catholic. I'm from the old school. My parents are Italian. And so I found out in confession that because the priest said to me, well, uh, you know, I told him I haven't been in confession for so many years and all this stuff. And he said, well, how long have you been married? And I said, 20 years, you know, and all that stuff. And so um, he said, well, you know, as a Catholic, you have to be, you have to go to confession and all that. 
and my, my, my kids were baptized in that. So he said, well, where did you get married? And I said, well, I, was, I got married on a cruise ship. He said, on a cruise ship? He said, you mean you didn't get married in a church? I said, no. I said, I have a license and all that. And if I recall, when the captain said, and the power invested in me in the sight of God, I can remember that as, as the day is wrong. So I'm thinking, all these years, I'm married, but I'm not married. So now I find out that I have to get married in the sight of God, but because I've been living in sin, I can't get, I can't go in front of the altar. It has to be done. I don't know. Anyway, okay. Now my, my way of thinking, and I've been saying it right along, all these women that have sex outside of marriage. Now I know for a fact that sex outside of marriage is a sin. And I know that. And so I've, I've said right along, I said, imagine the sex, they have sex, which leads to pregnancy. And then pregnant pregnancy leads to abortion. Okay, and and let me do, yeah, let me just jump well, in here. I, how can we? How can we? How can we help and, you today? And I, and I can't understand anyway. The priest wouldn't give me absolution. Okay, how can we help you today, Ann? So now, what what am I supposed to do? Okay, all right. Uh, first, this could be easily taken care of, and um, a, a priest or deacon from the diocese can start the process by which you and your husband need to um, do your vows before a priest or a deacon. You don't have to have any elaborate ceremony. You don't have to do a a, a full-blown wedding ceremony, but you need to exchange vows before a priest for it to be a sacrament. Now, you're you're civilly married, so the state recognizes that. Your children are legitimate. You have to worry about that. But the sacrament does not yet exist because as a Catholic— a Catholic must get married by a priest or deacon or bishop unless you get a dispensation for that. So I presume that you, no one got a dispensation to get married on the cruise ship. So you're married civilly, but you're not married sacramentally. And this could be done very easily. You don't have to go to pre-cana. Um, it can be scheduled very quickly. You just uh, talk to the priest or deacon. They need to get some information like uh, where you were baptized and they'll need a copy of your marriage uh, license and if you don't have the the old one you can get a copy at the courthouse it can be easily resolved uh, but you do need to um, exchange consent with your husband before priest or deacon and i did that a lots of times as a pastor sure we did it in church we did it you know in the afternoon oh sometimes they even did it in in the rectory um it, it doesn't take a lot to do but it needs to be done and then, of course, you're available to go to all the other sacraments, get confession, Holy Communion, and so forth. But you were not sacramentally married because the captain of the ship is not was not a priest. Right. So, and all you have to do is take that first step, talk to your pastor, right, Father? Yes, talk to your pastor, call the diocese if, if for whatever reason you yeah. don't like your pastor. Yeah, there you go. Appreciate your call, Anne. It is uh, Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio here on EWTN. Let's go now to, uh, looks like John in New York. John is listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. John, what's on your mind today? Uh, hi, Father. My, my question is about, I know a number of years ago the Church changed 
uh, during Mass, the peace offering from, and also with you too, and, uh, and with your spirit. I never really fully understood why uh, that change took place. I'm hoping you can explain it. Okay. Okay, well, the, the Latin um, phrase was, Dominus obis cum, the Lord be with you, and the response is, et cum spiritu tuo, which literally translates, and with your spirit. The English translation that we had been using, and also with you, uh, was not wrong, but it wasn't as accurate as it could be. So Pope Benedict had it tweaked, and it says, it's better than just saying, and also with you, because... Um, that could be interpreted a number of ways, but yeah. we say, and with your spirit, we're speaking of because you're responding to the priest or the deacon, and they have the because of holy orders, uh, they have that special uh, charism, and so when you say and with your spirit, you're affirming the fact that they you know they are in holy orders. It's not something you would say to another um, lay faithful, but you would say it in the context of the mass or when you know they're going to uh, a priest or deacon is going to bless something. It's a better, uh, better translation, isn't it? Yes, much more accurate. Just like consubstantial is more accurate than uh, one in being. Uh, it wasn't that it was wrong for all those years, but this is more precise. Very good. John, thanks so much for your call. Let's go now to Peggy, a first-time caller in South Carolina, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Peggy, what's on your mind today? Well, hello. Um, you know, I believe in the real presence of the body and blood of Christ because the priest uh, performs that. My problem is that I have Lutheran friends who say they believe that uh, they receive communion if the body and blood of Christ as well. What do I say about that? It, um, I don't know why it bothers me, but it does. Okay. Okay, well, I mean, they believe, I mean, a lot of Lutherans believe um, that they're receiving Holy Communion, but the reality is that they don't have apostolic succession. So the Lutheran ministers do not receive holy orders, and you must have holy orders. You must be a priest or a bishop to be able to confect the whole Eucharist, to yeah. change bread and wine into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. Plus, Luther also believed in not transubstantiation, but consubstantiation. So Lutheran theology is that both bread and wine and the body and blood of Jesus remain uh, in their uh, theology, and the Catholic theology and East, Eastern Orthodoxy too, is that bread and wine change their substances into the substances of Jesus' body, blood, soul, and divinity. So you, you don't have apostolic succession, and the idea that um, you know that you're consecrating, you're changing the substance uh, of bread and wine into the substance of Jesus' body and blood. Now that doesn't mean they're going to believe what you've just told them, but that's the reality that, that we say, and that's why even in the Orthodox Church, uh, they would not uh, acknowledge or recognize that in the Lutheran Church uh, that they have, or even in the Episcopalian Church, um, because of that lack of the apostolic succession and the, the changing, of, you know, not using the proper matter and form. Yeah. Peggy, thank you so much for your call. It is Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio here on EWTN Radio. If you call now, we can probably get you on today's show. Uh, phones really go f- very quickly on Mondays. Father John likes to uh, get as many questions in, as many callers on the air as possible. So do call now if you have a question about the Catholic faith at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833 833- 
288-3986. In a moment, we're going to be talking with Chris in South Florida. Also, Paul, a first-time caller from Chattanooga. Love Chattanooga. Also, Hosea, a 10-year-old caller in Nebraska. Looks like three lines open for you right now at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Glad you're with us for Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio here on EWTN Radio. Sold out phones at the moment when a line does become available. Hopefully that'll be in a few minutes here at 833-288-EWTN. We invite you to give us a shout, 833-288-3986. Before we get back to the phones, I'd like to congratulate several of our wonderful EWTN family members. KMBM in Polson, Montana, celebrating their 12th anniversary this week. Also, JMJ Radio, based in Scranton, Pennsylvania, celebrating 14 years on the air this week. And how about this? Holy Spirit Radio in the Philadelphia area, celebrating an amazing 23 years of solid Catholic radio. Congratulations from all of us at EWTN. Let's go back to uh, the phones and talk with Chris in South Florida, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Hey, Chris, what's on your mind today, sir? Hey, Father John. Um, thanks for taking my call. I, uh, you know, I, I left the Catholic Church several years ago, but I, I left, like, kind of, like, in the dark. I didn't really know what I was doing. I said, well, this can't be so bad going to this church. They believe in Jesus, too. Let me go check it out. And, um... I had a best friend I grew up with, and uh, he's staunch anti-Catholic. He was a Catholic. And he's a smart fella, and we're best friends, and very spiritual guy. And he gave me all his answers and why the Catholic Church is wrong about this. And you were talking about before praying to saints and to Mary, can they hear us? And he would, and it was drilled into me, too, that Mary doesn't hear you. She's not omnipresent. Saints don't hear you pray directly to Jesus. But the reason why I left the Catholic Church was just to go check it out. And uh, there was another reason. I don't want to get into that. That's not why I called today. Um, but anyway, I want to say I'm back from the Catholic Church. I'm so oh, happy great. I'm there. I grew uh, scriptures. So if you want anyone else that's listening like me, because it doesn't make you feel good, I feel better over there, or you got to really understand the, some of the scriptures. And I found out through scriptures that if you want to answer, answer Catholic, ask a Catholic who knows, who's more educated, or just read for yourself. And it's, it's all there. It's like, I'm back where I belong. But as far as, like, saying the rosary, I had a hard time with that, Father, because does Mary hear me? I mean, she's like, he told me, he's like, is she God, Chris? Is she omnipresent? She's not God, and uh, it, it bothered me a lot, you know? So, it's like, mm-hmm. I stay in the rosary anyway, in spite of, and sometimes okay. I still have doubt, <laughs> but I stay it anyway, you know? Okay. I, to God and to Mary in advance, they know yes. how I feel anyway, so okay. I, that, that's all. That's okay. Any uh, thoughts, well, I'm glad, there, Father? I'm, I'm glad he's back. We're welcome back. Welcome home. Yes. And, uh... 
you know, I know people have difficulty with praying to Mary and the saints, but again, uh, you and I would ask each other here on earth, could you pray for me? I'm having surgery next week, or I'm having some problems, or when people had the COVID, you know, I had, I was in the hospital with COVID pneumonia. I asked for people's prayers. If I can ask a living person for their prayers, why not ask someone who's already in heaven for their prayers? It's not bumping Jesus out of the way. In fact, all the people we're, pray- we're asking for prayers, they're praying to Jesus for us. Mary and the saints are praying to Jesus for us. He's the one mediator, as St. Paul reminds us. But Mary and the saints are intercessors, plural, just like in the gospel. I'm glad you, you brought up the fact of, of the scriptures. In the gospel, we have all these intercessors. We have Jairus asking Jesus to help his daughter. Uh-huh. He's interceding. We have the Roman centurion. We have all these instances where people go to Jesus asking for him to hear the prayers of someone else. So Mary and the saints, as I mentioned in a previous question, God allows them to know uh, by infused knowledge what it is that we're asking, but it's not by necessity that we uh, have their intercession. It's by God's invitation, just as Jesus or St. Paul asked you know, the people in Corinth and, and, and um, Thessalonica to pray for him, and he would pray for, the, pray for him, and he'd pray for them. Uh, so intercession is not a bad thing when you realize it's always going to the one mediator. All right, very good. Chris, thank you so much uh, for your call. Uh, before we g- continue with the calls here, Father, uh, a little point of clarification. Uh, re- received a text from a listener, Mike, who wanted to know if there was a difference between uh, consubstantiation as the Lutherans understand it and as the Anglicans understand it. Is there a little, little uh, difference there, a little gradation? It depends because, you know, in the in the Episcopalian tradition, in the Anglican Church, you have high church, low church, broad church. Uh-huh. So there's a little bit more fluidity there. Uh, certainly the high church Anglicans would tend to be more along the lines of transubstantiation. Uh, but because, as Pope um, Leo Thirteenth, you know, declared, they don't have apostolic succession. They, their, their priests don't are not validly ordained. That's why when a Anglican priest becomes a Roman Catholic priest, he has to be ordained uh, from our standpoint the first time, but yeah. in their chronological, it would be the second time. Now, Lutherans would be more along the line of consubstantiation as Luther understood it, but in the Anglican, the Church of England, uh, which includes the Episcopalian, mm-hmm. you've got a, a, a large uh, spectrum there to, to, that embraces a number of, of the, theologies. All right, thanks for your clarification. Here is Paul, now a first-time caller in Chattanooga listening on the EWTN app. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind today, sir? I uh, had a, a friend of mine who's not a Catholic. He asked me, uh, how, how, how do I guarantee my entrance into heaven when my body is done in, in this life? And, um, you know, I really wanted to give him a correct answer rather than what I've learned in the Church. So I figured if, uh, if, if somebody of more knowledge... I mean, I know I could ask my priest, but he's always so busy. I don't, you know, I'm not interested in that. <laughs> I'm interested in just getting a direct answer. Uh-huh. You're laughing. You, you know what I mean, then. Yeah, okay. Um, yes. Well, priests so, are very busy. Yes, you're right about that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, but you know what? I enjoyed when people ask me questions when I was a pastor for, for 16 years, but I know it can. You, people can get a little intimidated or they're a little uh, squeamish sure, to say, sure, oh, Father's sure. so busy. Um, now, we get to heaven by doing God's will, and certainly 
our bodies, you know, will be resurrected at the end of time, and those whose souls are already in heaven will be reunited with their bodies, which will be glorified, and that'll be taken up into heaven. But in the meantime, like St. Joseph and all the saints, uh, only their souls are in heaven. Mary was taken up body and soul into heaven at her assumption. Jesus ascended into heaven with his body and, and that. So uh, the rest of everybody who's in heaven, all the other saints, have to wait. But to get to heaven, one must embrace God's will, do God's will, cooperate with his grace, and uh, you know th- then you're more than likely to, to get there. But we must always be on the alert that sin can mess up the equation oh, yeah. so it's not a done deal that you've got it made you must every day struggle to do good and avoid evil okay paul thanks so much for your call let's go to jose in nebraska listening on the great spirit catholic radio jose what's on your mind today hello i was wondering if god knew that the devil satan was going to betray him and bring sin to the world why why would god create him in the first place Okay. That's a question theologians have been discussing for for millennia. Yeah. Um, the point is that God did not create the devil. He created the, the angel Lucifer, who became the devil. And he created Adam and Eve in the state of innocence. They sinned, although God knew with foreknowledge that they would. They still had free will. Lucifer and one-third of the angels who fell had free will. They didn't have to choose uh, evil. They could have remain virtuous and chosen good, but they chose to go the other way. Now, God knew ahead of time that they were going to do that, but it's better to exist than not exist. So the fact that God created them, which was good, um, he wasn't going to undo what he did. And, you know, he creates out of pure love. And so he gives every being who has uh, reason, like uh, the angels and human beings, he gives us an opportunity, a chance and we can choose good or we can choose evil. Um, so he doesn't want it to look as if, you know, he's he's forcing people to be good. Um, and, and with human beings, we have the added advantage that even after we've done bad or evil, we can repent. Uh, angels, once they make a choice, that's for all eternity. That's the way they're yeah. composed. But human beings, thank goodness, we can repent, we can uh, go to confession and start all over again. Hosea, that's a great, great question. Thank you so much for calling. Keep listening to Spirit Catholic Radio. That's a great station you've got there in Nebraska. It's Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio here on EWTN. Uh, You know, a few minutes ago, we had a caller talking about the rosary. Well, we broadcast the rosary each and every day here on EWTN. Of course, today is Monday, so we'll be airing the Joyful Mysteries tonight at 9.30 with uh, Father Groeschel of Happy Memory. Oh, wonderful. Be be sure to join us for that. Father Groeschel, along with uh, musical uh, interludes there with uh, the great singer Simonetta. Again, that's at 9.30 tonight here on EWTN Radio, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Back to the phones now on EWTN's Open Line Monday. Here's Kathleen in Idaho listening on Salt and Light Radio. Hey, Kathleen, what's on your mind today? Good afternoon. Thank you for taking my call. Good afternoon, Father. I have a question about the Byzantine rite. When we, if if one was to receive communion there, uh, would it be the same Eucharist that we receive receive in the Catholic Church? Uh, Yes, the Byzantines are Catholic. They are Eastern Rite Catholics. So we are you and I are Latin Rite uh, 
even if even if the mass is, and the sacraments aren't in the Latin language, we are the Latin or Western rite. Um, most uh, that's the most predominant um, tradition here in the United States, and I would say around the world. But we have Pope John Paul the Great, Pope Benedict, uh, Pope uh, Francis refer to the the church having two lungs. One, the Latin Rite, the second is the Eastern Rite. So Byzantine and all the other Eastern Rite Catholics have valid sacraments, valid baptism, uh, valid Holy Orders, and valid Holy Eucharist. It's just that in their tradition, they use leavened bread, okay, bread with yeast. And typically, they make it very thick, and they cut them into cubes, and then they put them in the precious blood, and you receive communion uh, from a spoon, okay? So you're receiving both uh, both sacred species at the same time, whereas in the Latin tradition, we typically have the flat host. It's unleavened bread, but it's valid. You're able to receive in in either one. If you're a Catholic, you can receive in the in the Eastern rite. You can receive in the in the Latin rite. Uh, it's just you know, as long as you are prepared and sacramentally, you're in the state of grace. Appreciate your call, Kathleen. Here is Marie in Anchorage, Alaska, listening on KHRA. Hello, Marie. What's on your mind today? Well, hello, Father. Um, I have a question on novenas. Um, I am just recently exposed to them. Someone gave me a book of 30 favorite novenas, and I do believe in the power of prayer. I mostly do prayer to get closer to God and to thank Him and uh, also to petition Him for things. So uh, according to the definition here, it was saying uh, you, you pray these prayers for nine days, and yes. it's for a, a specific uh, um, petition. And yes. I guess I tried it, and I get lost whether I'm doing it actually for nine days. Sometimes I think it's going on and on and on and on. Uh-huh. And it's like, oh, these are beautiful in themselves. Why can't yes. I just open this book and each day just, like, pick one and just prayerfully uh, submit a, a petition for someone in particular. I mean, what is there an advantage, or do you negate the uh, possible favors you get from God by not doing oh, no. nine days? No, no. There, I mean, <laughs> you, could, you could do any of those prayers anytime. You could do all of them. You could do them nine days. You could do three days. You could do one day. It's just that there's a tradition of the nine-day uh, novena, and that's where the word novena comes from, for the word nine. Uh-huh. And... Um, it's a wonderful custom to pray for nine days, but if you, sometimes people forget or they get confused, or like, you know, you said, you, you, you do it one day, maybe the next day you're not really, uh, it do, it's not that it doesn't work, uh, it's just that to get the full spiritual benefit, you're asked to do uh, nine days consecutively, and, uh, you know, it, it's, it's not a magic formula that if, you know, you did ten or eight, it's not going to work. Uh, no, but you must be, um, uh, it, again, these little traditions or customs are beautiful. They have some historicity to it. Uh, but I, like I said, you know, I don't want you to think that if you don't do it precisely nine days, it won't be of any benefit. But to get the full benefit, do what the church has been doing. Uh, you know, and this is small t tradition, so it's not yeah. something that you, you know, it's going to you know, make or break you. There you go. Marie, thank you so much for your call from Alaska. Here now, Lynn in Ohio, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Hello, Lynn. What's on your mind today? Hi. When I went to confession Saturday, the priest made a comment to me, and he said that I was holy. I'm like, no, I'm not holy, because, like, holy people are not like me. And I didn't know what, 
Like, what does it mean if somebody says you're holy? Okay. Well, if you're in the state of grace, you would be holy. You were baptized, you're holy. Uh, you got confirmation. The sacraments make us holy. Our problem is, as soon as we commit mortal sin, the sanctity leaves us. And But it can be, re- we can get it back. And that's what happens in the sacrament of, of uh, confession, is that sanctifying grace is restored. What was lost is now uh, replaced. And by that very act of going to confession, you are made holy. When you go to Holy Communion, you're made holy because you have that intimate union with the, the real presence. Uh, whether or not you stay holy, it, it depends on, on you know, our, our actions. So if, uh, if the priest said this to Lynn, like right after uh, you know, she confessed, he, yes. wasn't, he wasn't paying her a compliment so much as he was no. stating a fact. <laughs> He was yes, stating. he was stating her spiritual state that, you know, you know, once you've been absolved, you know, you are now holy, and that's to encourage you to stay holy. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Um, it's not to say that you're perfect, because only God is perfect, but, you know, holiness means being united with the holy, the one and yeah, holy one, yeah. God. There you go, Lynn. Appreciate your call. Here is Mary now in Louisiana, and Mary is, there we go, listening on Catholic Community Radio. Hey, Mary, what's on your mind today? Yes, I'm calling. I have a question about something. my daughter conceived twin boys through artificial insemination, mm-hmm. and they're eight now, and they have, they autistic, and one was born with lung disease. Mm. Um, they may, I've pre-baptized them, but we can't get them into, um, catechism because they have special needs. And I'm mm-hmm. also worried about what is this going to do to them spiritually, their soul, because, you know, it's not their fault that they were born this way. Yeah. Well, if if they if their special needs are such that they have a difficulty understanding um, what's going on, um, one must have full use of reason in order for you to be culpable. So, um, I knew some people who had um, they had a boy and a girl who had a very serious um, um, mental uh, disability, and because they were not able, to, they didn't have the full use of reason. It was almost impossible for them to commit sin. So they were always in the state of innocence yeah. uh, for that re- regard. Um, but again, I say re- call the diocese because they may have, they usually have a ministry to the disabled, whether it's physical or mental or both, and they may be able to provide something or at least assess what can be done. Because I know in many cases uh, people don't, I mean, maybe the parish may not have the facilities, but the diocese could refer you to. But I don't think you need to worry about their spiritual state as long as, you know, you keep praying for them. And hopefully, you know, uh, if, if their um, knowledge increases, that uh, they will cooperate more and more with God's grace. And uh, Mary was also concerned that because they were born uh, with the aid of artificial insemination, that those twins might be punished for that, but they no, will not. No, they will not. no, no, absolutely not. It wasn't that th- how they were conceived it has nothing to do with them. All right. It wasn't. I mean, the church is against in vitro because they what they do is they fertilize more than one egg. Yeah. And so you've got like a multiple embryos and each embryo is a human being. Mm-hmm. And what they do is they either destroy or freeze uh, some and only use uh, one or two. They consider, quote unquote, viable. But um, the, the children are never punished for, for what the parents do. 
There you go. Mary, thank you so much for your call. Uh, Gerard wants to know, is it true that God has already forgiven us and that confession is for our own benefit and not for God's? <laughs> well, it, it is sort of a philosophical conundrum because God exists outside of time, so he's not chronological like we are, but because of our timeline, so to speak, uh -huh. uh, we have to understand it in that way. So uh, when you don't go to confession, you're not forgiven yet. And once you're forgiven, you're forgiven until you, God forbid, you commit another sin. Um, but in terms of metaphysics and uh, ontology, you might say, well, God exists outside this timeline. Yes, but however, you and I, we exist in a particular time and moment. We have our past, our present, and our future. So that's what we have to operate with. Very good. And uh, Henry wants to know, I heard someone talk about Catholics believing in evolution and that the decision of that is up to the individual. Could you please explain that? Well, um, Pope Pius XII and other popes have said that, you know, we're not against evolution, but we're against an atheistic evolution that either excludes God completely or that sort of um, has this bizarre idea that nature itself created uh, the human soul. Only God can create the human soul. Right. So as long as we keep it a, a, a sort of deistic or a theistic idea that God is not only the ultimate creator of the universe, but also he's the direct creator of the immortal soul. And so in that regard, you can be, uh, you can have a modified uh, idea of evolution as long as you allow God to be a part of that equation. Because certainly God created gravity, he created physics, chemistry, and if uh, evolution in, in any one of its different forms is actual, then it, that was from God's design. But this haphazard, chaotic version that we sometimes hear about, that apes are all over the world uh, becoming human beings, uh, where does the soul come in? Okay, and that's where the Church is, is, is cautious. Henry, thank you for your, your email. Here is uh, Christine now, a first-time caller in Massachusetts, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Christine, what's on your mind today? Hello, well, thank you for taking my call. Mm -hmm. uh, and I wanted to ask, you know, we do what we can um, on earth to be in heaven with our loved ones, but what if we get there and they're not there? Well, uh, that's certainly a possibility. And the thing is, once you're in heaven, you see God face to face. You have what we call the beatific vision. So you have in your possession all truth, all goodness. So even though a loved one may not be there, God forbid, uh, it will not sadden you because you're going to be so filled with joy um, and you're going to recognize the fact that that was their free will choice. Nobody goes to hell by accident or, or happenstance. All right. So you have to freely choose to go against God's will. And, you know, we can, it's hard for us to imagine while we're alive here on earth, how we would, how we would react in heaven. But once you're in heaven, you understand things a, a lot differently. You appreciate reality as it truly is. And so, you know, it, it's not that you're not going to miss people who aren't there yeah. because you're going to know why they're not there. Okay. Christine, thank you so much for your call. Connie is watching us on Facebook this afternoon. Connie says, how are priests trained to deal with a penitent who suffers from scrupulosity? Well, that's, I'm glad she asked that because that's one of the things I and my colleagues here at the seminary, uh, my brother priests teach the seminarians ah. to, to deal with. Uh, scrupulosity is a great burden for some people, 
And, you know, they feel that they, they're always questioning, am I really forgiven? Did I say everything I needed to say? Was that confession valid? And they almost, in a sense, torture themselves. So what we tell the seminarians as future priests, be patient, be kind. But in one sense, you have to be firm and say to them, look, your sins are forgiven. Okay, don't come back unless you have moral certitude, you've committed a sin. Don't come back if you're if you're sort of suspicious or I'm not sure because then they come back every day and, and you don't want that to feed into their scrupulosity. Now, if they commit a sin, God forbid, every day, then you want them to come to the sacrament. But a scrupulous person finds sin where there is no sin, yeah. a lax conscience, uh, doesn't recognize sin no matter where it is. I had a friend uh, who really had that suffering, and he was compelled. And I, I think if he could get away with it, he would go multiple times per day. Uh, and 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 I knew that this was a real and true suffering on his part, even though the logical side of him said, "Look, I know I've got this, but I'm just trying to deal with it." Yeah, and um, Father Levis, who was my great mentor, uh, said to me, "You have to be very patient." But you have to be uh, stern in the sense that you have to yeah. say to the scrupulous person, I tell you, you come once a week unless you have moral certitude you committed a mortal sin. Yeah. Um, and, and if you put them on the spot like that, it, it, it tends to be helpful. But you have to be patient. You have to be very patient and compassionate. In the case of my friend, it was actually the sternness of a priest that, that finally you know, broke, broke the spell of it, I think. Yeah, and it, it but really... many times that's what you need is, and I don't want to use the term tough love, but you need to be that 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 strength and say, look, I'm telling you right now, you can't be coming to confession every day because then every day becomes twice a day, yeah. three times a day. It's a vicious cycle. Sure, sure. Father, would you leave us with your blessing, please? Absolutely. Benedica vos omnipotens Deus, Pater et Filius et Spiritus Sanctus. Amen. Amen. Father John Tregilio, thank you so much for all that you do for, for all of us and for EWTN. Thank you, Father. Thank you, and keep us all in your prayers. Absolutely. We're uh, praying for all of our listeners as well. We pray that you will be joining us tomorrow at the same time when we will have uh, another wonderful priest here, Father Wade Menezes, answering all sorts of questions on faith, family, and fellowship. My thanks to our fabulous team behind the glass here. I'm Tom Price along with Father John Tregilio. Thanks for joining us. See you next time here on EWTN's Open Line. God bless.